Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. All right, good morning. Welcome. Chilly morning this morning. Well, hey, we're at the conclusion of the book of James. James chapter 5, if you want to go ahead and turn to James chapter 5, we'll pick up in a moment where we left off last week. Well, I hope that this series has been very fun and exciting and encouraging to the context as a whole and how it relates to the wisdom God makes available when you and I face trials in life, when you and I go through struggles that try to hold us back or pin us down and cause us to question and doubt the goodness of God. Has anyone in the last month or two went through a struggle? Has anybody got sick? Has anybody been tempted? Has anybody just had a very hard day at school or at work? Well, James is here and it's available and seeing the book as a whole, I pray, has been very encouraging to the wisdom that is available. And so as we step in and wrap up uh, chapter five today and begin our Christmas series Next week, I want to begin this morning by stirring your thoughts um, on on the the conclusion of James chapter 5 by thinking about what comes to mind when you think about the idea of being at the right place at the right time. Being at the right place at the right time. I've I've went into a man's house before and saw a big buck on a wall or maybe a big fish and like, man, what's the story behind that? And he's like, oh, I just... First time I ever went hunting, I just kind of walked out in the woods, found me a good tree, sat down, it just walked right out. And you're like, really? Really? Yeah, I guess I was at the right place at the right time. That is not supposed to have, supposed to work. You're supposed to earn that deer and slave yourself all year long, trying to, for, for 10 years sometimes, trying to find a buck that big. But it just happens. And some of you have these stories where uh, you met a stranger and you started talking at Walmart and, and then all of a sudden you landed a job and started working the next week for the guy. You know, those stories are awesome. Some of you met a person and, and got to talking and then and you run into him again. And then like a month later, you run into him again. And all of a sudden he said, hey, you want to go on a date? And now you're married to him. And you know, it's just those, those stories, those stories are, are really fun of how being at the right place at the right time. And some of you maybe last week went Black Friday shopping and you weren't even planning on to buy it. You, you weren't even going to buy it and just it's 50% off and you're just at the right place at the right time. And you come home with that thing that you don't need, but you really wanted and you got a great deal. Um, well, several years ago, back when... Um, Jenny first fell madly in love with me in 2009. I had to drive like six hours across North Carolina to visit her and visit her parents. And so I was teaching and coaching school, of course, during this time. And um, I left her family and her her parents' house at like 9 p.m. one Sunday evening. You know, I got to get back here and be driving a bus at 6.30 the next morning. So I'm coming by Silva at about 1 a.m., and she's on the phone with me, and she's keeping me awake, and she's taking care of me, you know, and we're on the phone. And, and, and I drive by, and it's, it's, it's winter, it's cold outside, and, I'm, and I look, and I'm like, hey, I think I just saw where somebody wrecked. I'm not sure. And uh, anyway, I hang up, and I'm right there at exit 85, and I turn around, and I come back through kind of where that gas station is there. And, and I stop and get out, and everything is frosted. It's freezing outside. 
But the skid marks go through the frost, and they hit the guardrail, and there's no frost. And I'm thinking, this just looks so fresh. And I walk, and I look, and I don't see anything. I don't see any lights. And I walk back to my truck, and I'm just thinking, this don't make sense. Let me grab a flashlight, and I walk back over there. And I step over the guardrail, and I shine down. And about 80 feet, there's a vehicle upside down down there. No lights on or anything. And I'm like, man, it's three days ago. I don't know. Is anybody down there? Hey, how you doing? And this little hand sticks out the window. And says, help. And anyway, you can kind of just imagine where, you know, where it went from there. The jaws alive, fire trucks, everything had to come. This guy had flipped a work truck. And just, you know, just at the right place. At the right time. And that is, that is how James ends this letter. That is, we're going to start with verses 19 and 20. And then come back and just look at how the Holy Spirit Set this up to be so encouraging for you and for me as the, as the church and putting ourselves in position to help people because we walk and respond to trials in life with wisdom. So if you would, please stand with me in reverence and honor for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, inspired, infallible word. And let's begin in verse 19 of James chapter 5. And the word says, brethren... If anyone among you wanders off the road, wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns the sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we wrap up this series Thank you for what we've been learning. Thank you for the way your Holy Spirit has spoken to us from your word. And we pray that going forward that this would be a church that's always becoming equipped, always looking to you and asking for wisdom for everything we face in life, knowing you're doing a work behind the scene. It's not even just for us, that it could even be to go and to help someone else down the road. We ask your blessing on this service now in Jesus' name. Amen. And so now, if you, could, if you could just look at this text again, these last two verses, and just pick, pick which person you would want to be in the story. You, you know, we would all agree. If, would anybody want to be the wanderer? Would anybody want to be that person who is roaming through life aimlessly, who's flipped over the guardrail, laying down there helpless? Or would you rather be the someone who goes after and finds the person who's at the right place, at the right time, and available to help? We would all want to be the rescuer, right? And that's kind of the big idea with this, how James wraps up this text. That what you want and what I want, what we all really want is to be the person in position to help somebody else. We don't want to go through life helplessly wondering. And so if I could break down verses 7 through 20 in three short and three words, um, it, it would really be this. The text guides us. To, a, to an understanding of the role of patience and prayer in the life of you and I, in the life of the believer, and how we respond to trials, God wants us to be guided by wisdom to have patience, to continue our, talk, our conversation with Him so that when the trial is over, you and I are in, in position to be the person that we just read about in verses 19 and 20 to help someone else who's in a trial. Sometimes 
They don't even know it. And so that's kind of the big idea of how we're going to break down this text today. And so let's start with verses 7 through 12. You could say, wisdom guides us to be patient, not to be passive. We want to make sure we're not seeing patience as, uh, you know, you get in a long line, you're trying to get a biscuit, you're trying to get coffee, and you're just you're standing there. Just nothing's happening. You're twiddling your thumbs. That's the idea of passivity. We want to see that wisdom, wisdom's guidance to us being patient is a very proactive thing. It's, a, it's an expression of our trust of God whenever life feels like it's just not moving at the pace that we want it to move at. And so let's start here in verse number seven, which says, Therefore... Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Now, we know in the context of verse 7, James is responding to the injustice that we talked about last week in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5 at the end of, of Ethan's sermon. So you just, you, we pause here and would just say, if you or someone you know is going through a situation where it's just injustice is happening. Someone's being taken advantage of. Someone's not getting paid for the work that they did. Someone is experiencing the repercussions of fraud and doing wrong. James is saying, don't take matters into your own hands and go burn their house down. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. And we think, what, what does that mean? If this letter was written around 44 A.D., and the church then and the church now is being told, you should find strength knowing that God is coming. And he's going to right the wrongs. He is going to have his final say. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. That reality is meant to help us to not lose our patience. Because if you lost your patience, have you ever lost your patience? <laughs> if you've lost your patience... You know, what happens next, what comes out of my mouth or your mouth or what we do next, it, it isn't good. I mean, if I stopped for a second and said, does anybody need patience with their spouse right now? A few of us might be. <laughs> she, she does with Jeremy. Does anybody need patience with their children right now? You know, there's just that one. Hands are going up. And if we ask the kids, does anybody need patience with your parents? Kids all over the house are like, man. Amen. We're in the house of the Lord. We're just being real here. And so James uses the injustice of verses 1 through 6 to open up a deeper understanding of the patience, and the wisdom and the patience that we all need during all of life's circumstances. So let's, let's talk about this. Have you ever been in a situation where it's just the trial is uncontrollable? It's out of your control. It's whatever's going on, you couldn't fix it if you want to. Well, verse 7 and 8 build into this idea. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain? You also, so like the farmer, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Let's talk about this for a second. If you're in a situation where your trial is really difficult and it's just out of your control, you couldn't fix it if you wanted to, James says, look at the farmer. He doesn't sit on his porch saying, well, I can't do nothing until that rain comes. 
The early rain is the rain that the farmers waited for, or, or hoped would come, and they waited for after they tilled the ground and planted the seed. Now you think about the faith that's being expressed here. There's no rain. I'm going to go till the ground because, God, I trust in your timing. There's no rain. God, I'm going to go put seeds. I'm going to sow seeds in that ground. And they'll die without rain. But, Lord, I trust in your timing. That's the idea here. If you're in a situation that's beyond your control, God's saying, "Don't, don't stop working for me. Don't sit on the porch and refuse to till the ground and plant the seeds until the rain comes. Step out in faith and be active in the faith and till the ground and plant the seeds like the farmer because you trust my timing. That's an active patience. That's a faith that says, I'm not going to let the uncontrollability of my circumstance take over my life and control my life. So he moves on and he says, what about when the trial is, a, is, is unchangeable? And the thing that's unchangeable that's making life so hard for you and me is a person who doesn't change. A person who's unwilling to change. Isn't it easy? Look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Isn't it so easy to lose your patience with difficult people? I mean, let's just be honest. That's my, my worst moments in life is probably responding to a person that isn't doing what I want them to do. I want you to change, but you're not changing. And James is saying this is another idea of patience. Don't fall into a trap of living a life controlled by the person who wants change, change the way you want them to change, then we're, we're condemning ourselves. He says, Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering but having patience. So let's, let's think about the prophets for just a second. If we could sum up many of the faithful prophets in the Old Testament, Jeremiah being one, they preached to a people who often resisted what they were saying. They preached to a people who wouldn't listen and didn't really care at all what they were preaching about. And it would have been so easy to get discouraged, to, get, to give up, to get bitter, to get angry, and just say a bunch of words and do a bunch of things that wouldn't have changed anything. And he's saying, he's saying here, if you're going through a trial and there's an unchangeable person in your life, could be a spouse, could be a family, could be a mom or dad, could be a cousin, could be a friend, could be somebody on the team or at work. Don't let their resistance to the Lord cause you to stop serving him and let that then change you. We can forgive them, we can pray for them, but we don't have to let them rob us of the peace and the joy and the love and the calling that God has, has for us. It's challenging. It's a lot easier said than done. I assure you, the guy that's standing in front of you, this is just, this is for me as much as it is for you. So then he goes on, he says, sometimes the trial that we're facing is just unexplainable and we need patience. And the idea here is he says uh, in verse 11, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure, so who had patience and stayed faithful to the Lord. But have you ever heard about the perseverance of Job? 
and seen the end intended by the Lord and that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. This is interesting because James 5.11 is the only time in the entire New Testament where Job is mentioned. Job, whom we have 42 chapters written about his story. Job, who had a wife very early on. Whenever the sufferings and the trials to Job's faith began, his wife looked and said, curse God and die. But Job stayed faithful. Job goes to his three friends, or really Job's three friends come to him. And they say, Job, surely it's all the sin in your life. You're being so sinful and wicked and God's judging you. Well, that's encouraging. Thanks, guys. And Job doesn't give in to the discouragement of his friends. And they were misrepresenting the character and the name of God and what they were saying. Because the Bible tells us, if, if you could be in Job's situation, it's unexplainable. Because Job doesn't have what we have. He doesn't have the 42 chapters. Job couldn't turn chapter 42 and see the outcome. Job couldn't see Satan behind the scenes accusing God. All he knows is he lost his health, he lost his wealth, and he lost his entire family. And it's, it's a trial that I think we would all agree none of us ever want to experience. But Job is the example that the whole book of James was written to help us to see the beauty of. That, that whatever trial you're going through, whatever sickness you encounter, whatever hardship we face, it never changes the trustworthiness of God. His compassion and his mercy is what James says you should remember about Job. He can be trusted and he has good intentions for everything we go through in life, even when it's unexplainable. So verse 12 kind of wraps up this little, this idea of the patience that we need during trials. Saying, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth. Or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. So we know that this is a great verse. It's a standalone verse. Be a man of your word. Be a woman of your word. Keep your commitments. But it's neat that in the context of patience, we step back and we see, isn't it the most, isn't it easy in the moment that we lose our patience to also lose our commitment to God? Why would God allow this in my life? Why would he let this happen? I'm never going to, and then just fill in the blank. We're never going to church again. I'm never reading my Bible again. I don't, I don't want anything to do with him. And James, the bigger picture here is James is saying, look, if, you're, if the trial you're going through is uncontrollable, unchangeable, or maybe it's just unexplainable, it's beyond what you can put into words. The greatest thing you can still do is stay committed to God. Let your yes be yes now and let it be yes forever. Because we've seen the goodness and the outcome of the prophets and of Job. So that's meant to be encouraging today. Well, now he shifts gears and, he's in, and in verse 13 through 18, wisdom now guides us during the trials of life to be prayerful. To be prayerful, not passive. To keep the line of communication with God open. And so let's break this down. Verse 13 begins by saying, Is anyone among you suffering? 
Let him pray. Well, yeah, that's pretty easy. That makes sense. But let's stop and think about it. Isn't it so easy whenever what you're going through is just really hard on you? It's really hard on me. It's disrupting your schedule. It's disrupting your time. It's changing your plans. It's costing you money. Isn't it more easy sometimes to complain than to pray? And so I just, I kind of stared at this verse for about an hour one day and just What exactly are you telling us, Lord, to pray when we're suffering? And where my mind went was right back to chapter 1. What if every time this week your schedule and your day and your life gets encounters a a trouble and you're, you're beginning to suffer? What if we then begin to say every time, Lord, I don't know what's happening, but I trust you. Lord, this is really hard. This threw my whole day out of loop. But I'm asking for wisdom to count it all joy because I know that you're doing something greater than I can see right now. And I don't want to be that double-minded person, Lord, that doesn't receive anything and then just starts living chaotic and unstable the rest of my day. Wow. do, do, Do we see that in connection with the overall theme of James? When I begin to suffer, God's saying, I'm your lifeline. Call upon me, pray to me, because I want to help. I want wisdom to fall down like manna into your life. And so when we connect it to the overall theme of James, it's like, okay, yeah, that's the heart of our Father. Is anyone cheerful? What about when life is sweet? Sometimes life gives us suffering, but sometimes life is just sweet. He says, let him sing psalms. Isn't it neat that psalms are just like another way of praying? Maybe some of you pray quietly, some of you pray out loud. But psalms are simply a way of singing and praising God and putting loud and loud words with harmony. As long as I'm with Charlotte and Jeremy and Ashley. It's putting harmony to our prayers. It is, it is saying, God, life is really good right now, but I know it's not because I've done something great and praiseworthy. Life is sweet right now. I just want to thank you and praise you and adore you. And James is saying, that's wisdom. That's, t- turn on the radio, turn on your, put on a CD, turn on your phone. And sing praises as you go down the road because life is going really well. In the mountain or in the valley, praise him. Wisdom guides us to do that. But what about when life gives us, gives us sickness? Anybody had the flu in the last month or two? Anybody had COVID in the last year or two? Anybody just had the, the strep in the last week or two? Just whenever you're sick, we can all relate to this. Is anyone among you sick? I'm going to break this down. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And let the prayer of faith and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Well, that's a dandy right there, ain't it? Let's break this one down. I have a few observations to put, uh, to put into this one. 
First of all, when we read 14 through 16 as a whole, you could say this. James assumes that the readers of this epistle are in community with the church. And that church has a plurality of elders. Notice it's plural there. Shepherds, bishops, overseers that have been appointed to lead, feed, and protect that body. So James assumes that. Not every church has that. James assumes that because the early church made that a priority. You can read that in Acts chapter 14. Secondly, I want to make an observation that simply says this. Elders do not exist to pray so that sick people never go to heaven. Okay, now watch this. If Scott lives to be 100 and he is sick and struggling every day, I think you would rather pray for us to go peacefully into heaven than to stay here 10 more years. Can I get an amen? Amen. We love you. But we, the verse isn't saying pray hard and anoint sick people with oil and keep them here to be 400 years old. That's not what it's saying. Thirdly, I look at this and say, God isn't the one notifying the elders that someone is sick and needs prayer. So don't assume that every time you post something on Facebook, the elders are sitting there reading it. We're coming with the oil, baby. We'll be there in a minute. Ain't happening. And so just you just notice that the sick person or someone that's in connection with the person who's sick and suffering calls the elders and says, hey, we need prayer. Put this on the prayer chain. Come over and lay hands, whatever, whatever the request would be. And so we don't ever want to assume that the elders would just know it. Then I look at this and I just say, look, the text does not dismiss the need for medical treatment. You would never want to walk around saying, man, I got a staph infection in my foot. But I'm just going to go to the elders. It's swollen up. It's about the bus. But I'm going to go to the elders. You, we're going to send you to the hospital and get that thing lanced open. And so the text isn't denying medical treatment in any way. I think that's, a bit, that's a big deal, um, especially for those who are in the medical field. Um, you would see that. But even though oil had medicinal purposes back then, and it still does today, I drank some essential oils this morning in my, in, my, in my water. But the idea here is that the person who's suffering and sick would call upon the elders, and they would come, and they would lay hands, and there would be fellowship, and there would be prayer, and there would be communion with the person. And then it opens up the possibility here to deal with sin. It, it doesn't say everyone who's sick is sick because they have sin in their life. Job wasn't. Job was a righteous man. He, and, and, and so his story shows us that. But the text does say in the paragraph, if someone is sick, one of the first things that we would eventually want to talk about is, is there anything in your life that's unconfessed? Because we're here to help you to deal with it. We're here to talk about it and pray with you and, and, and help you deal with it. So that, that brings me to this observation. This text is really important to distinguish which part of the text is a possibility and which part of the text is a promise. See that? The possibility in the text is that the person who's sick will get better. It may happen. May not happen. The promise in the text is anyone who's confessing sins will absolutely be forgiven 
if they pray and they're asking for forgiveness. And that's what God wants. That's what God has wanted the whole epistle. So then how do we approach this text? It takes more faith. It takes as much faith to pray for someone and to see them healed and get better. It takes just as much faith to then pray for someone trusting God and then they don't get better and we say, okay, that was God's will. We trust you. We love you. It wasn't your will to get better. That's faith. And so James is saying, use every situation in the church to love people, to pray people, to talk about the goodness and faithfulness of God and to deal with, with sin if it's there. But he's not saying that this is an absolute promise. Nobody's ever going to go to heaven if we just bring all the sick people to the elders and they anoint them with oil. We good on that? So now James moves. Actually, let me say this. Cause I want to say this. The elders meet every Wednesday night four, four times a month, three times. We're about four or five times a month. We're meeting on Wednesday nights. I get the schedule so mixed up. If it's Wednesday, I just assume we're meeting. We meet about every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. And we're often here till 10, 11, and 12 o'clock doing accountability, praying for each other, praying for you by name. If you're here, your name is on a list. We're praying for you by name. We're praying for people who lead and serve in different ways as well. We're praying for things that we're aware of that are a struggle and it stays confidential. And we meet with the deacons once a month. If you ever want to come to one of those meetings and keep it private, whether it's about sin or whether it's about sickness, that's why we're here. That is, that is, that's, that's one of the reasons that we're here. And we would invite you to call Jeremy, call Ben, call Trevor, call myself and say, hey, could I, could I come out this Wednesday night, meet with you? We'll set, we'll set that up. It's an awesome thing. And James says, really, the, the church should take advantage of this more often because it's something that God has made available to the body for the greater good of the individual and the people. We want to deal with real things. And it stays confidential. So then he moves on and he says, let this be encouraging to the sickness, to when life is sweet, and to those moments when life is full of suffering. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature just like your pastor's. No. Elijah was a man with a nature just like the worship leaders. Huh. For every person in this room, young and old, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, just like yours, and just like man, mine. He is above anyone. The text is saying we can all pray like this. That's amazing. We can all call upon the Lord and watch him move and work and answer prayers in our life, in our troubles, and in our sicknesses. And so James lets us know that Elijah prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And then Elijah prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. And you remember this is whenever that whole scenario is... is, is Baal God or is God 
God. And Baal was being worshipped by the people as the God over the weather. And so Elijah touched in with heaven and God said, yeah, we'll, we'll prove which God is the real God right here. And so James now helps us to see that whenever you as a teenager or an adult or a child are going through trials in life, if we step back and say with patience and with prayer, God, I trust you. I'm looking to you. I want to take over, but it's out of my control. I want to do something and show him or show her, and I want to, I want to change this. God, I'm trusting you. Just like I know you're going to come one day, I know your timing in my life now is something I can look to. God, James now says, you and I will live and we will be in position to help a hurting person. The trial is never just for you. Is the trial for you? Yes. Chapter 1 told us that. It's to grow and perfect you and me to make us more whole and complete in our walk with God. But God will still not waste that trial. And it'll, it'll, one day it'll be for someone else as well. And so then when we move into this, these last two verses again. And we see the bigger picture in its context. Just hear the heart of God here, brethren. If anyone among you wanders from the truth, you lost your patience. You decided not to pray and you just put your words to it and put actions to it and just kind of all of a sudden truth is here and I'm way out here. The word wonder in the Greek here means you've strayed away. It's the idea of the prodigal son who ended up eating with the pigs. And someone turns him back. Do we just, do we, can we pause again this, this morning and just between you and God, I just, God, I want to be that person. God, if one of your children is flipped over the mountain, I would love to be in position to just help them, encourage them, pray with them, invite them to church, invite them to this family of believers. James says, let that person know that if you go out of your way with love and wisdom and you help a sinner, you turn a sinner from the error of his way, you've rescued a soul. This isn't a salvation, heaven and hell word. Be reminded of that. This is a, this person was going to perish Flipped upside down down there. They were going to suffer. They were going to bleed out. Their spiritual sins was eventually going to lead to a physical death. James says, you just covered. We just participated with the goodness of God in covering a multitude of sins. If they had kept going down that path, more and more people would have gotten hurt. But God uses people to step into the lives of hurting people and say... Let's talk about it. Let's talk about what direction your life is going. And now I got here, I'll be honest, I got here. And just, this is, this is fascinating. I had this conclusion. I was finished at about 4 a.m. this morning. God said, oh, <laughs> missed something. And, and, and all I can tell you is he asked me, let's go back and think about those two names in the book of James as we close this out. Let's go back and think about Job and Elijah as it connects to the greater thing that the Holy Spirit is wanting the church to know in verses 19 and 20. 
When you go back and look at Job's life, 42 chapters, chapters 4 through 25 is basically Job and his three friends just in this awful, you call it an argument? What do you call it? This just, they're questioning his faith. They're questioning the character of God. It's just awful. And at the end of all that, the Bible says in Job chapter 42 that God's anger was aroused at those three friends. Because of how they had spoken about his name and his character. God takes it serious. And look at what Job 42 verse 10 says. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. You see that? Job who lost everything gets restored more than double. Indeed the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had Because he was in position to pray and forgive the very friends that made life so difficult. My word. Anybody got somebody in your life that's just hard to deal with? Forgiveness is always God's way. Doesn't mean we have to be best friends again. But all I can say is when the Lord brought us to this this morning to say, Is there somebody in your life? That we just need to pray for. It's hard to pray for them because I'm bitter and I'm angry towards them. And God's saying, let it go. I want to restore. I want to bring heaven down in your life like manna. But you got to pray for your enemy. you got to pray for your friend. I said, okay, God, well, what happened to Elijah? He said, turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. I said, okay, here we go. 1 Kings 17. You remember Elijah is trying to say, who's God? Is it Baal? And so he starts praying. God says, whoop, shut the rain off. It's not going to rain anymore. Okay, that's awesome. So Elijah goes over by the, the, the brook, the creek, and he's drinking water. Rain ain't falling. He's drinking water, and the ravens are bringing him bread and meat every morning and evening, which would be kind of awkward, but kind of cool at the same time. It's not raining. But all of a sudden, now Elijah finds himself in position with someone else. The water dries up, and Elijah crosses paths with a widow. Can you, so here's a woman who's lost her husband, and she has a son. And now Elijah is in her life, and Elijah says, Hey, I, just, I need you to make me some bread. And she said, I ain't got no, I've just got a little bit of oil, and I got a little bit of flour. And Elijah's like, Look, God will fill your jar with oil and flour every day you'll make me some bread. And so just imagine, just be in the shoes of that little boy for a minute. You ain't got daddy. And God puts Elijah in your life. Because he's in position. He trusts God. Everybody's worshiping Baal and Elijah trusts God. But then the day comes and that little boy gets sick. And all I know from reading 1 Kings 17 is he either died or he looked like he died. And Elijah said, let me pray for him. And he lays on this boy. And he prays over this boy. And a few minutes later, he comes carrying this boy back down to his broken mama's heart. And the woman said to Elijah, now by this, I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. You just think, Elijah was in position. The whole world was worshiping Baal, but he remained faithful. 
He didn't, if I go to eat from the raven's beak, I'll eat from the raven's beak. If things get a little tight, it's okay, but I'm going to serve my God. I'm going to stay faithful to Jesus. This economy's falling all to pieces, but it's not going to change my faith if we will continue to be that church. God says, I'm going to put you in position where people will know this is my word. And they'll come to me because you choose to be a church that loves me and trusts me. Even when life is tough, you're going to be in position to help people. Let's be that church. Let's pray. Father, it's here that we just bow our heads. And we thank you, even from James chapter 5, that we don't have to pray long prayers. We don't have to pray prayers that impress you because they're so theological. We just, you just invited us to take you at your word and pray a prayer that says, Lord, I trust you and I know and I believe that your word is true and nothing too hard in this life changes the compassion and the mercy of who you are. Lord, I pray that this church would be filled with your people that believe that and live to that. And that you'll put us in a position to see the lost come to know the gospel and to see people who are hurting and wondering and have strayed away from the truth come back to Jesus. Lord, if that person is here today, let them come now. Let them come today. If that person is watching online today, Lord, I pray that they just get down in their living room and pour their heart out to you because you've spoken today. Thank you for the book of James and thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's Word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.